Thank you for listening to the Christ the King Church podcast. We exist to help people know, love, and obey Jesus as Lord over all of life. For more information about our church, please visit us at ctksensi.com. Good morning, church. Good to see you all today. Um, Cameron, as he was uh, praying for Joyce, um, she was here earlier. Where is she? Joyce, are you still here? Oh, oh yeah, they're in the back. Um, so some of you may have seen, you know, on Facebook or whatever, um, just a couple of posts about her, and uh, I was surprised to see Joyce actually here this morning, and um, so recovering, uh, recovering well, big answer to prayer, um, so, and Joyce, it's, it's great to see you, and we're glad to pray for you as a church family, so uh, just praise God for, for the recovery that, that you're in the middle of, and that God will continue to do that. Um, my name is Michael. I'm the lead pastor here, and glad to see you all today. And we're, as Cameron mentioned, we're going through a series in the Gospel of Luke. And today, we're going to talk about Christian hospitality. Christian hospitality. Because the story that we're looking at is a story of two women uh, who showed hospitality to Jesus. And what we're going to see in this story is really two different kinds of hospitality that were embodied by two different women, Martha and Mary. Martha welcomed Jesus into her house. Uh, Mary welcomed Jesus into her heart. So both of them were showing a, a kind of hospitality that were good and right, but only one of them was necessary, and that was the, hosp- the spiritual hospitality showed by Mary. And that's what we're going to uh, we'll be unpacking that this morning. So let's dig in. What I'll do is I'll read through the whole text, and then we'll go back through verse by verse and uh, pick it apart. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verse 38 is where we'll start. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This is God's word. Okay, so let's look at verse 38 again, and we'll go more slowly through it. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Martha was a friend of Jesus. Actually, um, Jesus was friends with the whole family. There's Martha and Mary, as we met here. Uh, That's this story. But uh, John chapter 11, there's another story where we meet this family, plus their brother Lazarus. And this was when Lazarus died and Jesus raised him from the dead. So in this story, Jesus is a house guest. He's a guest in Martha's home, and she's practicing hospitality. She's making preparations for Jesus. Now, in the ancient world, hospitality was a really big deal. And this is especially true for Jews and Christians because there's a theological significance of hospitality. So hospitality, uh, generally speaking, that just refers to the generous and gracious treatment of guests. 
where you welcomed them into your home. Typically, hospitality could, it would include a meal, that was assumed, um, and this, the table fellowship that you would share together that signaled a, good, a bond of goodwill and friendship. But a good host would also provide shelter for the guests and their animals that they traveled on, um, a place for them to wash up, so uh, wash their hands, wash their feet. Um, hospitality could even be extended to strangers. So um, sojourners, travelers, uh, guests, people in need. We saw this last week. Last week, the Good Samaritan story. That was a story of showing hospitality to a stranger who was in need. It was in a desperate situation. And so the theological significance is that Christian hospitality is rooted in the hospitality of God. So even this worship gathering, us being here today, this is an expression of God's hospitality as he extends it to us. And humans, we can only worship God by his gracious invitation because he invites us to worship him. Where he is the host, we are the invited guests. And God opens his house to us. We're gathered here um, in this place that by our presence, it, it becomes a house of worship. It is God's house. And he calls us to worship. He washes us in his grace. He speaks truth to us and he shares a meal with us. This is God's hospitality that is at work here. Now, what's interesting about this particular story is that Jesus is the one who is receiving hospitality from other people. And that's enabled by the fact that uh, of the incarnation. The incarnation is Jesus being God himself became a human being, God in the flesh. So the divine host became a human guest. And as a human being, he would get hungry. He would get thirsty. He would need a bed to sleep on or a couch to sit on. And so Jesus humbled himself in such a way that he could receive hospitality from the very human beings that he had created. And so for Martha to have Jesus Christ in her home, that's a big deal. That's a high honor that Jesus Christ would, would come and want to be in her home and that she would entertain such a guest, that she would be the one to welcome Jesus to her table in her house. She would be the one to prepare a meal for Jesus Christ. I mean, she probably didn't know all the theological meaning of, of, of Jesus, and these things may, may or may not have been clear to her. I don't know. But she definitely knew that Jesus was a special man of God, that Jesus was a prophet of God. Maybe she thought or knew that Jesus was the Messiah. So the Son of God is at her house, sitting on her couch. And so for Martha, the pressure's on. This is really important to her. Hospitality is really important to her because it was important in that culture. Everything's got to be just right. Everything's got to be perfect. She wants it to just be so. And so Martha was being a good hostess. She wanted to honor her guest. And so she's practicing excellent hospitality. I, I, I want to pause and just make some application on this. Practicing hospitality can be a spiritual discipline. Practicing hospitality can be a spiritual discipline where you, by, by means of your hospitality, you can build up and edify the body of Christ, where you welcome people into your home, and that is a sign of grace, a sign of divine welcome, a sign that God himself has welcomed us. You can, you're, through your hospitality, you can be a sign to another person of God's welcome. Romans 15, verse 7 says, therefore, welcome one another 
as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So in the ancient world, table fellowship in one's home, that had a special meaning, an unusual significance, and that significance is lost in the modern world. But this is something that as Christians, we can begin to recover. And I think that that is already something that is being recovered in our church. It's like we, we do value being in homes together. We do value spending time sharing meals together. And this significance, it enriches our lives as we experience the welcome of God through one another. And so your home is, is not just a residence. Your home is so much more than a residence. Your home is an extension of who you are. Your tastes, your preferences, your personality is, is written on the walls of your house. It's in the way that you prepare a meal. It's in the way you decorate. It's in the way that you, re, that you arrange your furniture. All of these things are expressions of who you are and the particularity of your personality and your home and your style and your preferences. You're bringing somebody in to your life, into your world, and you're saying you are welcome here. That's, that, is a, that has meaning. So Christian hospitality is the art of welcoming people into your heart by welcoming them into your home. You're, you're extending something spiritual and meaningful through a physical act. Let me give you an example of this. One of my uh, favorite Thanksgiving memories was when I had Thanksgiving uh, dinner at my little sister's house. My little sister, Dina, she's eight years younger than me. And she and her family, they, they had this, at the time, they don't live there anymore, but they had this little farmhouse that they were renting. And it was old and falling apart, really, and it was kind of run down. But uh, she was in this little two-bedroom farmhouse, and she was there with her husband and their four kids. And this, because the house was old, the way it had settled, it's like the floors were uneven, and the ceilings were really low. And so, like, for me, walking, my, my brother-in-law is taller than I am, bigger than I am, and like big in a muscular way. He's like a big, big dude. Um, so both of us, we just were like giants walking through this little house. And uh, there was like, it, there's the ceiling fan in the living room that, you know, this kind of hangs down. Of course, the, ceil the ceiling is already low. And so just for me to put my hands up like, like this, I would get my, my hands, you know, kind of caught in the blades of the ceiling fan. And there was one time when I was in the, I was like sitting on the floor and I, I stood up to go in the other room. And as I stood up, my head hit a light bulb and shattered it on the ceiling. <laughs> so it's, it was that kind of a house. Um, anyway, so uh, for this Thanksgiving meal, it was my, uh, my family and our four kids and her family and her four kids, um, plus my, uh, my mother and my stepfather, all packed into this tiny little farmhouse. And She's into homesteading, like farming, homesteading kind of stuff. So what they wanted to do this year was to raise their own turkey to prepare it and serve it to us for Thanksgiving. And so that morning, on Thanksgiving morning, JD, is my brother-in-law, it's like he got up, uh, he slaughtered the turkey, and they started to prepare it just for this meal. Um, and so my, my mom and my sister and Laura, uh, they spent a lot of time in the kitchen all throughout the day just getting things prepared. You know, this huge meal, mashed potatoes and stuffing, sweet potato, there's cakes, there's derby pie, which is really, really special to me. Derby pie, I love that. Um, but the main event was the turkey. I mean, that was the thing that really is like, we've never done like a farm-raised, home, homegrown, gobbling yesterday in the front yard turkey. And we're going to eat it today for Thanksgiving. Um, 
So finally, you know, they, my mom is, uh, she's, an ex, she's always cooked amazing Thanksgiving turkeys. And so she, you know, was the one that really made sure that the temperature was right. And so um, we gather around uh, dinner time for this meal, tiny little table uh, in this tiny little room. And the kids are like hungry and squirmy and they're noisy because they're all little. Um, they ask me to say a blessing. So I bless the meal and then we start to share the meal. And we were especially excited to taste this turkey because I was like, how different would it be from like a store-bought butterball or some kind of that turkey? Like, how different is this going to be? So um, I take a bite. And it was horrible. (laughs) Horrible. I mean, it was like gamey and chewy. It it had kind of a a funny taste about it. It It was really, really bad. But everybody had this anticipation of this turkey being great. And so there's this awkward silence for a few minutes while we're chewing on this nasty turkey. And, you know, of course, kids are being kids. I mean, they start to be like, this turkey's gross and that sort of thing. And, and, and we're like, shh, stop saying that, you know. And so that's, it, it's this awkward thing that we're trying to, uh, you know, just be pleasant. And, you know, it, eventually um, the compliments the lies start to come out. So they're starting to say, oh, this is really good. Yes, this is great. Oh, what great job. And, I was, and Laura and I were looking at each other. It's like, well, we're not going to lie to her, but we're, let's just not say anything. You know, we'll just kind of, just kind of go silent. Like, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. And just, the, the thing that's funny is like, that was easily the worst Thanksgiving turkey I've ever had. But it is also the best memory of Thanksgiving that I can remember. I've had lots of Thanksgiving meals. I've had lots of great turkeys. I mean, we could have had a five-star chef, a professional, come and prepare an, the best turkey ever, but it wouldn't, have, it wouldn't have been this hospitable memory, this moment that we shared together as a family. And what made it special was the people. It was the table fellowship. It was the welcome that we felt, the love that we shared with each other. And I remember that day with such fondness. There's these snapshots of different conversations and and different parts of the house and the yard that hang in my memory like crayon drawings on the refrigerator door. It was a very special day because of the hospitality, because of the people. There's another application point here, and that is that that hospitality is that we, the welcome that we extend to one another as Christians that can also be a sign to non-believers that God extends this invitation and it's a sign of what they could have also. Let me read to you this text in Hebrews 13. It says, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. You know, just as a little perk, you might meet an angel, you know, if you have a stranger in your house. But the point here is that there is a, there, there is a, when you welcome strangers into your house, I mean, strangers could be believers, but maybe not. But it, it, it's an opportunity to turn hospitality into a, an opportunity for ministry. So at, at the very least, your home is a resource that God has entrusted to you that you can steward for his kingdom. You can leverage it for ministry. Now, it's a well-established fact that in the early church, The church grew and expanded because of the practice of hospitality. It enabled missionaries to move from place to place, from city to city, and to find welcome in other people's homes. And from there, they were able to preach the gospel. 
um, I, I sent a text to Maureen uh, Moorhead. Some of you know, may Bill, know Bill and Maureen, and they have this UCWF ministry. Um, University, let's see, where is it? University Campus World Friendships. They, they had to change the name, but UCWF, it stands for something important. But the, uh, the ministry that they do, they, they have a ministry to international students. And if you come to the 11, you would, you would see all these students here. Anyway, I sent her a text, and I was just asking her about how she uses hospitality for ministry, and she, she, uh, she sent me uh, a lot of really cool information. Um, she said, like, I'm, there, wh- wh- where it starts is just housing for students. So every fall, um, you know, around this time of year, whenever students are coming from other countries to Cincinnati, I mean, they come with all of the things that they are going to bring from their home country here in suitcases or something, and they may not have apartments or whatever lined up yet. So they need a place to stay for a few days while they find an apartment. And so Bill and Maureen will welcome them into their home or into, there's a few people in our church that have welcomed them into their homes. Laura and I have done it many, many times where we'll have for you know, several days at a time, uh, two or three um, students from another country and they stay with us while they get to get set up. And then what they do is they, um, start to build relationships with these students who don't know anybody, they don't really have friends, and they welcome them into their home, and they do this Friday night dinner party. And with this Friday night dinner party, um, they, some of them that are Christians, Bill, um, he will lead a discipleship time for Christians, and Maureen will lead um, a gospel proclamation, like an evangelism time for non-believers. And it, she starts very basic dealing, kind of putting the, the even just the the foundational building blocks of a gospel worldview in place to be able to uh, work towards sharing Christ with them. And so she, she had done some math and she said me, uh, she said over, they've been doing this for 16 years and she estimates 816 dinner parties uh, with an average of 30 students per week. And so she estimates somewhere around, somewhere around 25,000 meals served. Um, that's that's hospitality as a launching point for ministry. She said that she's lost count of how many people have received Jesus Christ. But I, I've, I've known them. I've met them. I've known them personally. Many of them um, attend here the 11 a.m. service, and some of them have continued on and volunteered with their ministry. It's a really cool ministry. So through this ministry, Bill and Maureen have been able to be father and mother to so many souls that will be in heaven with us because of their hospitality. So hospitality in your home, it provides the opportunity to welcome people and to do so as individuals where you can tailor your hospitality to those people and to your unique tastes. So if you, if you go to a friend's house and your, your friend says, this, uh, this meatloaf is my grandmother's meatloaf and I wanted to make it for you tonight. Well, when it, once she tells you that, then you're no longer eating just meatloaf. You're now eating a story. You're, you're, you're dining and being nourished by her food and her story, and that story that means something because of the personal connection it has for you. You're, you're feasting on something that is deeply meaningful to her. That's, that's what Christian hospitality can do. It can transform transactional meals and make them these, these places of welcome where we experience the grace of God welcoming us Uh, into one another's presence, but also a sign of God's welcome to us. Verse 39. 
Martha, and she, Martha, had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. So try to picture, if you can, what's going on here. Martha's serving, and Jesus, presumably, is in the living room, you know, um, hanging out, waiting for dinner to be served, and Jesus does what Jesus does. He's going to teach a while. He's got some, uh, some things that he wants to talk about. So while Jesus is in the living room, Martha is preparing to show hospitality for her honored guest. And so she's in the kitchen cooking and preparing a meal. She's serving in various ways. But she, I mean, it's a, it's a big thing to, to, to go out of your way for such an honored guest, and she would like to have some help. But her sister, Mary, is in the other room hanging out with Jesus. You know, she's sitting at his feet, just kind of soaking it all in. And Martha's thinking, like, hey, I wouldn't mind being in there, too. If you come and help me out, maybe I could get in there sooner, and I could listen to Jesus, too. And so... Martha's getting a little uh, miffed here because there's work to be done. Martha's trying to show hospitality. She's trying to honor her guest. So she's serving and preparing everything properly. Mary is not pulling her weight. And she's thinking, that's not fair. That's not fair. Now, um, what's interesting about Mary is the way she's described. It's because if you're a prominent teacher... Um, the practice was the students or the pupils of the prominent teacher would sit at the feet of the teacher. And that would indicate a posture of learning and of submission and of uh, honoring of that teacher. And so you see a few examples of this in the Bible, like the Apostle Paul referred to um, learning at the feet of Gamaliel, things like that. And so that was a common way to speak of, like, this is my teacher and I am this, this teacher's disciple. Now, um, to, to receive instruction or be a disciple in that way, that was a pretty common thing for men to do. But that was not a common thing for women to do. And so what Luke is presenting us here is a picture of a woman being a disciple. Like, she was receiving the instruction of Jesus. She was, Jesus was welcoming her. Jesus was, was, was indicating by, by uh, having her there with him and teaching her that she had... She had a right to be a disciple the way any other man would. It's like it was, he was elevating her and saying, like, hey, she, want, she can learn theology, she can learn the scripture, and Jesus was honoring her. Verse 40, but Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. So Martha was distracted, distracted with much serving. So what does that mean? I mean, well, she had to keep an eye on the roast. You know, she had to get the rolls out of the oven. I mean, there was stuff to do. I mean, it's like she could have listened to Jesus teaching too, but there was this urgency of all the preparation that she was doing. And so she was kind of missing out. So her, her urgency to show hospitality in one way distracted her from showing hospitality in the other way. And that is a, the hospitality of the heart. That is the paying attention to the guest himself, being hospitable to the man who is in your living room. And so this urgency that led her to actually do something inhospitable, something that would have been a breach of etiquette, and that would be to... Ask your dinner guests to arbitrate a family squabble. I mean, that's awkward. It's awkward. Imagine you have a guest in your home, and you're like, uh, all right, all right, Frank. Um, 
the wife and I, we've been having this argument. So uh, you tell us who's right. I mean, it's like, who would do that? That's a weird thing to do, but that's what she does. Like, hey, Jesus, tell, tell Mary to get in here in the kitchen and help me out. I mean, this is, I'm trying to get this work done. And so um, this, Jesus gives her a response, and what he does is gentle. He, he exposes her misplaced priorities. And, and then this response, he does show her that Mary sees something, or Mary recognizes something that Martha's missing. Mary is doing something uh, good and right, and Jesus isn't going to deprive her of it. And this response Jesus shows what it truly means to welcome people. So the last two verses, 41. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So Jesus recognizes Martha's hospitality. He acknowledges she's stressed out about it. And he says, you're anxious and troubled. He, he sees her. He sees what is going on with her. But then he points out something and he says, but Mary is showing hospitality too. It's a different kind. She's paying attention to the guest, the man who is here. She's honoring the man himself. And so she's practicing a different kind of hospitality. So Martha is honoring Jesus by welcoming him into her house. And she's attentive to the needs of the house. Mary welcomed Jesus um, or honored Jesus by welcoming him into her heart. She's sitting at his feet, humbly, submissively, receiving his instruction. So by sitting at his feet with this rapt attention to the words of Jesus. She's acting out this parable of spiritual hospitality. Now, Martha isn't necessarily wrong because physical hospitality and spiritual hospitality go together. In fact, there's all kinds of scriptures that, that point us to the need for us to show hospitality. And that means preparing meals. That means you know, doing the housework, the, the physical tasks of showing hospitality. So Jesus isn't scolding Martha, saying, Martha, you're, you've got it all wrong. What are you, what are you thinking? You should, you should just let the roast burn and ignore the rolls and just come in here and sit at my feet. He's not correcting her and saying, you're, you're doing something wrong. I mean, the, the, somebody has to prepare the meal. It's not going to cook itself, and they do need to eat. I mean, that's part of, the, part of the thing. What Jesus says is that she's missing something, and that thing that she's missing is the, the thing that's necessary. They said, Mary chose the necessary thing, and I'm not going to take it away from her. So Martha's problem is not that she's working too much. The problem is that she's distracted from the necessary thing, from a higher priority. And so Jesus speaks her name, Martha. But then he repeats it, Martha, Martha. I mean, we don't have tone of voice written into the Bible. But when I, when I read that, that reads tender to me that reads uh, like, a, like a, a gentle, a, a patient, a Martha, Martha. It's like a, it seems like Jesus is, is gently pointing her to something, but also acknowledging that she's doing a good thing. And he, he, he's able to speak to her in a tender way to indicate to her, don't you know 
that you don't need to impress me. Don't you know that the necessary thing is, is right here in front of you? And that is a distraction. I mean, imagine, you know, tonight, 6 p.m., your doorbell rings. You go answer the door, lo and behold, it's Jesus Christ. And uh, he's like uh, incarnate for a couple hours. And he's like, well, I was in the neighborhood and uh, had some things to attend to, but I thought I'd just pop in and, and hang out with you for a while and, you know, share some time with you. And now let's say Jesus comes into your home. And he's going to be with you for a couple of hours. And you think, okay, Jesus, well, hang out here on the couch. And I want to go and I want to whip up a meal and I want to, you know, get the, the food and the drinks and I'm going to get the glasses and all this stuff and put it out there together. And before you know it, all that time is gone. And now you've got just a few minutes to actually spend time with Jesus. Imagine he would say, Martha, Martha, don't you realize what this is? You have Jesus Christ right here with you. You're always going to have a sink full of dirty dishes. You're always going to have food that needs to be prepared. You're always going to have chores that need to be done, but you're not always going to have me here with you. Mary, she's chosen the good portion, and it won't be taken from her. So what's the good portion? What does that mean? Well, in the Old, Old Testament, the word portion, it, it has a, a couple of connotations, um, and, and there, there's a lot of overlap. So one is food. So whenever uh, Joseph saw his brothers uh, in the book of Genesis and they showed up, um, he gave his brother Benjamin, his like full, full-blooded brother, five times portion. Uh, so he gave him a much bigger portion of food, and the word portion there was used. But the word portion is also used to describe God himself. God is our portion. Let me show you some examples of this. Psalm 16, verse 5 says, The Lord is my chosen portion. In my cup, you hold my lot. So the Lord is better than food. And he, and he says, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. So there's a food association of cup. And there's a spiritual association with God being the, 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 the right portion. Here's another one. Psalm 73, 26. My flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. There it is again. Let me give you one more example. This is Lamentations 3.24. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. So he's saying that, or these texts are indicating that God is better than food. That God himself is the sustenance, the nourishment, the life within us. That is God himself. Food is a physical life within us. That's, that's the fuel that we need to, to survive. But God himself is the true portion. God himself is what we truly need. So your greatest possession, Christians, is your fellowship with the Lord. That is better than anything else. That's why the discipline of fasting is a good reminder of that. It's depriving yourself of a physical need to help you remember that what you truly need for body and soul is the Lord because he is our portion. Your most important priority is your communion with God. That is what is most important. So what Jesus is saying is like, Martha, you're, you're, you're doing good things here. 
It's stressing you out. You're anxious about it. But the thing itself is good. But there's a necessary thing here, and that's what your sister's doing, and I'm not going to take it from her. Your sister chose the good portion. Your sister is communing with God. Your sister is sitting at Jesus' feet. She is the one that is receiving. She's the one that's taking it in. She's enjoying Jesus. That's the one priority in life. And that priority trumps every other priority. Union with Christ, that is the good portion. And Mary seemed to have a better handle on the uniqueness of that opportunity. I mean, we commune with Jesus by faith, right? It's like for us to commune with Jesus is to sit at his feet and listen to his teaching through his word, through reading scripture. That is, that is our, our, uh, our access to, to the teachings of Jesus, this scripture. Mary had Jesus sitting in the living room, and she chose that portion. So Jesus Christ, sitting there with her, Mary Wrapped attention, hanging on his words. That's the good portion. She chose it. And Mary, or Martha, was missing out. Not because she was doing something bad. It was because she had her priorities misplaced. Because she had rolls in the oven. Because she had dishes in the sink. She needed to run to Kroger for a gallon of milk. But the good portion was right there. Right there. Union with Christ was right there. And so just as Mary chose the good portion, we're invited to do the same thing. We're invited to choose the good portion. I want to make one final point here. And I want to speak directly to anybody who's not a Christian. Or you're not yet a Christian. Or maybe you don't know for sure. But either way, I want to talk to you about choosing the good portion. I want to read a scripture to you. And then um, invite you to choose the good portion. And this scripture is from Revelation uh, 3.20. Revelation 3.20. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. So this would be Jesus speaking. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. That verse is kind of like a spiritual dinner invitation. It's an invitation for, for us to receive Christ and to enjoy not just his presence, but table fellowship with him. It's an opportunity to, to have communion with Christ in, a, in both body and spirit. So this is unlike any other dinner invitation because it's a spiritual meal. The, the meal is Jesus offering himself as the good portion. And that's why, you know, every week is part of our worship service. We do share a meal. And the meal is, you know, literal bread and juice or wine, but it's juice. But we share, we share this meal, this, this physical meal. But that, that meal is a sign that, that points to something. And that, that pointer, that indicator is that there is a spiritual food that Jesus offers us. And the food that he offers us is his body and his blood. And that refers to his crucified body that was given for us so that we could feed on his body. It sounds weird, but, but it's, it's, we are nourished by him. And his blood is the wine where we, we drink it. That sounds weird too. 
but it, that is, it is true drink. And so the communion meal that we celebrate, the bread is the body, the cup is the blood, and we celebrate this every week. It's a dinner with Jesus. It's table fellowship. It's, it, we do it weekly because this is hospitality. God has welcomed us into his house, and he feeds us a meal. And we share that meal with each other and with God. And the spiritual table that's set, the meal that is offered is Jesus. Because he is our portion. Like the spiritual meal is a portion. It's food. It's something we dine on. It's something that nourishes us and and sustains us. So Jesus is true food and drink. Jesus is true bread and wine. Jesus is the covenant host. And so he invites us to receive him by faith, and that's where we respond with hospitality of our own. So there's this line that I've been thinking about in the Joy to the World Christmas hymn, um, because it says, let every heart prepare him room. And I think it's a play on the uh, no room in the end um, Christmas theme. But so there's no room for Jesus in a hotel, so let every heart prepare room for him. He's saying Jesus entered this world without hospitality, but we can show hospitality to the Lord in our hearts by preparing room in our hearts. Well, how do we do that? How does someone prepare a room in their heart for Jesus? So if you're, if you're not a Christian or you don't know, how would you prepare a room in your heart for, for you to welcome him in? How would you do that? And that is, is that we repent of our sin and we receive him by faith. Now that's That doesn't sound all that dramatic, does it? But it's something that we do in the inner person. It's something that we do in our heart. And so prepare a room that that would literally be like make space. To prepare a room for somebody is to prepare a space that is hospitable for the guest. And so God is perfectly holy. He is righteous. And sin is inhospitable. Sin in our life that we do not deal with, that we do not confess to, clinging to sin is like telling God, you're not welcome here. So Christ provides a way for us to be forgiven, for us to to remove the offense of our inhospitality and to find grace and mercy for all of that sin, to find hope in him. And so what he did was like he gave his own body for us. It's like, let me handle the food for you. And he, 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 he gave his life so that we can be forgiven of our sin and for it to not be counted against us. He said, let me clean the house for you. Let me remove any obstacle that could, that could stand in the way for us sharing fellowship and communion together. And so now he's, he's made a way for us to be hospitable. And the only thing we need to do is receive that gift. Say, yes, Jesus, clean my house. Yes, Jesus, bring the, bring the meal. It's a meal train. Bring it over. I bring the meal and you cook it. You prepare it. And let me just sit at your feet and fellowship with you. Because that's the one hospitality we need. That's the hospitality of the soul. Where we, we're not just eating food. We're not just dining on some meal. But we're feasting on Christ himself. And that's what he offers. That's how we make room. We show hospitality simply by receiving the gift. Because the hospitality is not something we earn. It's not something where we got to fluster about in the kitchen to make sure everything is just right for him. The hospitality we show is to sit at his feet and to receive and let him do all the work. And we receive it humbly. So what we do is we confess our sin. We say, Jesus, I am not worthy. I'm not worthy to have you under my roof. I'm not worthy to have you in my house. 
but you have invited me. You've stood at the door and knocked. You've, 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 you've given me a dinner invitation, and I want to show hospitality and bring you in. And so I receive your forgiveness, your cleansing, your meal as a free gift that you offer. So I, I confess my sin. I acknowledge my need, and I commit to you as Lord. I, I will become your disciple. I will sit at your feet. I will hang on your every word. I will obey you. And then the meal's ready. Dinner is served. We pull up a chair at the table he's prepared. We dine together with the saints of God, and we receive his eternal life. That's the good portion. Let's pray. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the good portion and that you are the covenant host. And you prepare a table for us. And you invite us to come and dine with you and to fellowship with you. You offer your body and your blood for us to be nourished. And Lord, we pray that you will truly nourish us. Some of us are spiritually starving and we need the one necessary thing, the one good portion. And Jesus, you are that portion. You are everything we need. Lord, I ask that anybody here who does not know you, who has not shown you the hospitality of the heart, to welcome you in and receive you graciously, or receive you in grace that you offer. Lord, I pray that you will, you will open that heart and that you will come in and dine with that person. And that person will receive you by faith. I pray for anyone who is here that is in that position and that you receive Christ by faith. I pray that, um, that they will also commune with the saints and will enjoy the hospitality that you provide for all of us together. Thank you, Jesus, for opening this way for us to have union with you. And we pray all of this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We are Christ the King Church. For more information about our church, please visit us at ctkcincy.com.